0: Good morning, and welcome to Journey again. Uh, my name is Randy, and if I haven't met you yet, I'd love to do that. Uh, maybe just chat with you a little bit. If you are a guest today, it's good to have you, and I want to welcome our our folks on Facebook Live as well uh, to our service this morning. A lot of people share uh, if they can't get out; it's very meaningful to them, and to be able to have that in their home. So uh, it's great to have all of you with us today. You know, I wanted to mention this, and I don't—I don't think Dan did. I got in a little bit late; uh, was talking out there, but. Uh, you know, Dan and, and Leanne, they do such an awesome job in leading us into worship uh, every every week. And this has been a really tough week. Uh, some of you know that uh, Dan's dad has been in the hospital actually all week, and he passed away on Friday afternoon, or Friday uh, midday or so. And uh, so it's been a tough week, uh, but uh, Dan said that this is where he finds his peace and his comfort in the presence of the Lord in worship. And uh, so he's, uh, you know, he, he just... Hung right in and didn't even consider not doing it this morning. Uh, so you might encourage them a little bit. Uh, yeah, definitely. We, uh, we appreciate uh, all that they do and uh, uh, how they uh, continue to serve the Lord. Well, guys, it's good to have uh, you here. We are going to continue on in our series we've been in for a few weeks now. I'm excited. We're going to talk about grace, uh, do a series on grace when we get through with this one. So uh, uh, that would be good for all of us, what grace is all about. Uh, but today we're going to continue on the series that we're in called The Path. And, uh, you know, uh, I was uh, just a little bit of allergies kind of hit me up this morning uh, before I got up here. And that's kind of what we're all dealing with a little bit in the, the fall and it's pollen going around. But really it's a great time of year and, uh, you know, the weather's just awesome. But I was thinking about, you know, how our schedule runs here in Kentucky. And I know it didn't like this everywhere, uh, but in, in, our, uh, in our state we have a pretty predictable schedule. And I grew up on a farm and so we almost always knew what was going to come next in, uh, in the, the process of growing something. Uh, so we had this schedule pretty predictable in the spring. As soon as the ground was dry and warm enough, we planted our crops. And I grew up on a small farm, so we planted uh, things like corn, uh, wheat. Uh, we raised tobacco back then, good or bad. We, we did. Uh, garden, we had a big garden. Throughout the summer, we nurtured what we had planted uh, we would till it, we would water it, we would fertilize it, weed it, whatever the crops needed. And then in late summer and fall, there would always be the time of harvest. And we would cut the tobacco, we would pick the corn, we'd combine the wheat, put up the hay. And then in the wintertime, we used what we had grown throughout the, 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 the rest of the year, the previous part of the year. Some of it was sold, others of it was, was fed the livestock, the garden, obviously, we, let, we ate ourselves. Because in the wintertime, nothing grows. And that probably isn't a great revelation to you, but it's kind of neat how God has laid that out, especially here, because the whole year was laid out basically for the harvest. It's what it was all about, that we looked to the harvest and we thought about that year after year. Now, we don't farm as much anymore, uh, but uh, that pretty, is pretty obvious. We see it around us so there are people who do living in a farming community. And we know that whenever something grows, there comes a time when it's time to enjoy what you've grown. You know, we have a farmer out our way, I don't even know who he is, but he often doesn't harvest his crops until after the first of the year. And uh, you probably know, but by the time the wind blows and the rain and and everything, that much of the crop is kind of lost. It's laying on the ground or animals have eaten it or, or it's just kind of deteriorated over time. But it's really a shame to grow something and then not to harvest it. Well, today we're going to be talking about harvest, not about crops. We're going to be talking about the harvest of souls. Because God has given every one of us a soul, and he wants it to be gathered into his barn or his safe place, and we're a part of that. In fact, as a church, that's kind of what we're all about. And if you think about it in the context of, uh, of salvation, people follow a pretty similar pattern as a crop that we might grow. For example, before the, the gospel is in someone's heart, the heart is cold. It's kind of indifferent to God, and, and nothing is growing there. And then comes a time of spring whenever someone or some way the gospel is planted in a person's heart and they begin to consider it. It's put in the heart. And then in the time of uh, of summer, it has a time to take root. It begins to grow. It's watered and nurtured until then finally at some point, it's time for harvest, for decision to be made, and for the soul to be gathered into the safety of the Father's barn. Now, Jesus talked about that, and I love that picture, that analogy. He also used other analogies. For example, he talked a lot about fishing because he lived in a fishing community as well. Talked about the nets being thrown. Maybe he talked a little bit about the hook being baited because that's how we fish today. The fish is lured in, takes the bait, brought to shore, harvested. But it kind of helps us understand the process of winning people to Jesus. And so in this series that we've been in for a, a few weeks now, We've been talking about our journey toward Christ. We're talking about how that happens, how we come to know Jesus. And we talked about four marker points on that journey. We said the first one a couple of weeks ago was about beginning. It's where we all start, where we come to kind of curiously seeking about who Jesus is to find and feel a longing that's in our hearts. And we said that when we cross the line from beginning uh, and, and accept Jesus, we cross into a time of believing and we discussed this last week where we come to this um, line of faith that we choose to follow after Jesus, walking in his steps, imitating his life. And that's a time in, in our, young, our life as a young Christian when we are just kind of soaking it all in. We're trying to figure it out. We're learning. We're growing. And hopefully we're, we're developing some really good habits in our spiritual life. And then today we're going to be talking about the third marker point in our journey, which we're going to call Belong. It's kind of how we say it. We begin, believe, belong, and then next week will be become as we wrap up. But today we're going to talk about belonging and understand that Jesus loves us right where we are, but he calls us always to take the next step on our journey. Just like every walk, every journey begins with the first step and then progressively goes on until we reach our destination, our walk with the Lord is a journey. We began on day one, and then we continue on throughout our lifetime. And Jesus never lets us be content with stopping on the path. Why? Because when you stop on a path, you never really reach your destination. You know, usually when you stop, you can, it's difficult to get started again, to be honest with you, in any any journey you might make or any trip. You you stop and you always look back. And that's what oftentimes happens when you stop. So God is always calling us to take our next step on our journey. And so we've been looking at Jesus as he gathered his followers, his disciples, looking at the pattern about how he did that. And so we're going to continue on that in that today. And and here's an example, Matthew chapter 4. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Now, these two guys, we've brought them up every week so far, I believe, Peter and Andrew, because they're great examples of a couple of people who came into contact with Jesus and ended up following him. And this is not the first time that we've discussed him, nor the first time that Jesus has met them. In fact, it's likely that Jesus probably met them early in his ministry and had confronted them or talked to them a few times. At this point where we are today, this is about 18 months into Jesus's ministry and Peter and Andrew had been followers for some time. Jesus had invited them at some point early in the experience to come and see. That's kind of the beginning part. And then later on he had challenged them to follow me, which is kind of where we are in the believing phase of our life. And now he's giving them another challenge, but it's not to follow him just in observation now. Now he's calling them to go deeper. He's calling them to participate in the mission. So let's continue on in Matthew 4. Jesus said, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now this is different because before it's always just been watching and and being with him. Now I'm going to send you out to fish for people. And once they left their nets and followed him, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. So these are two sets of brothers, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, that seemingly are the first of the 12 disciples that Jesus is going to call to leave everything and follow him and then spend the rest of their life um, working for Christ and the rest of his ministry pouring into them. These are the 12 disciples that ended up taking the church on beyond wherever Jesus went back into heaven. But what Jesus calls these men, he calls them to be workers in the harvest. Workers in the harvest. Now, what is a worker in the harvest? I remember back when we were on the farm, uh, oftentimes we would have to go out and hire people to help us uh, because we couldn't do it all. So we would go look for someone who was willing to work, someone who would, would step up to the task, and that was hard to find in that day. It's even more difficult to find in this day. In fact, there's not a lot of that out there, really, uh, and and those who do seek workers, they have a difficult time finding them. But a harvest worker in the church is someone who is willing to take their next step on the journey beyond believing and is ready to carry the load and take responsibility for moving the gospel forward. And this is what God is calling us to do, to take the next step beyond belief into belonging. Belonging. But belong people who belong are no longer focused on the milk of the word. If you remember last week, we said as a young believer, we need to get into the Bible. We need to be reading the Bible. We need to absorb it. We need to accept it. We need to believe it, trust it, incorporate it into our life. But now, once we've discovered that and and reached that point, now we want to move forward. We don't want to just be fed, but we want to not only uh, but but to feed ourselves. And we study the Word of God. We're growing and feeding ourselves, maturing in the faith. Whereas in the past, our spiritual thought was about me—I am—I focused. Now we begin to think about being we-focused, and we start thinking about other people who are out there, other people's needs, and willing to put our, their needs before our own needs. You know, I've been in the church a long time, all my life, and what I've discovered is that there are workers in every church. There are people who are faithful in attendance. In fact, they are there every Sunday. You can count on them no matter what, unless they're sick or out of town. People who are serving, people who are giving, people who are leading, people taking initiative. And these are the people, honestly, in the church that make things happen. They're the ones that are funding the mission, the volunteering, taking on the mundane task, getting it done, something has to be done. Somebody steps up and says, hey, I will do it. I'll do it, you know? And we need to appreciate those people. I love to see those people. You know, we've got some guys that have been laying some uh, uh, flooring down in our our office area back here. And I mean, every Saturday they're in there laying that flooring. It's a big job. These guys are doing that. It's not glory, you know, it's not a lot of glory in that. Nobody's going to really brag on them a lot. I'm going to try to, but. But, uh, you know, uh, nobody, we don't notice those things, but they have to be done. So many other things in the church, not only the facility, but in ministry have to be carried by people who say, wow, that needs to be done. Amen. Folks who are at this point recognize that God has saved them, and they want everyone to know Jesus as well, and they want everybody to be growing in Christ. So they throw everything and throw themselves into the mission. And they're not just doing things in the church. I don't want you to think about the fact that you're just, you know, serving in the church, we'll talk about that in a minute, but they're involved both in evangelism and also in discipling new believers. Now you might say, well, those are, those are good works, right? Yeah, they are. We're not saved by our good works, but we are saved for our good works. That is so important to understand. Those kind of things are not going to save us. We're not saved by them, but we're saved for those things. And the motive that we have is that we're so grateful for our own salvation that we want everyone to be saved. Love is the motivation. I love what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who, lives, who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Amen. Did you notice it says that those, those who, who know him no longer live for themselves? Right. So it's not about me because I'm in Christ and I, I'm, I'm living faithfully. Now it's about others and it's about the greater purpose, the, the mission, the cause of Christ. That's the kind of love that Jesus had for us. It wasn't about him. It was about others. It says, when he saw the crowds, this is what Jesus uh, said, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And what was Jesus' passion? He wasn't just concerned about, you know, at this moment, or even about what people were doing. He was concerned about their hurts and their lostness and their confusion. And he says, we need help because the harvest is bigger than what one person can do it. The harvest is bigger than what a leadership in a church or a staff can do so he prayed that people would send out workers and prayer for workers to be sent out. You know, there are a lot of people who think the church is just for them. And I know none of you feel that way, but at some point in our life, we feel like the church is just for us and that the church ought to provide everything that I need, to fill my every need, my every want, my every demand. And some people, honestly, and again, no one in this room, my demand that everything be tailored to serve them. You know, in real life, you know, we call that childhood, don't we? Amen. That our kids want everything to be done for them. But there comes a time in our, our lives that we have to recognize it's not just about us. It's not about us. It's okay to be a child. You know, we all get to be a child for a while. But at some point, we expect our children to grow up and start contributing to the household, doing some chores, you know, doing some things around the house. We all expect that. Now, unfortunately, we all know adults who have never reached that point in their life. They're still living in their parents' basement or expecting their parents to pay their way. You know, uh, and, and that, that isn't realistic going forward. So if some are there, think about that. But at that point, people have to grow up. When I was a, a kid, and I didn't stay at home a lot, I, um, I spent one year at home but before college, but my dad would often talk about breaking my plate. And uh, and at first I didn't realize what that was, but what he was saying was, son, uh, you don't need to move on at some point in your life. And it was a good reminder, and I still think about that often, and I've challenged my kids. I've had to break their plates as well. They've, They've done okay. But you know what? That period of maturing in our life is like teenage years, right? Where you stop expecting everything to be done for you, and you start caring for yourself and start contributing to the best of the family. And a wise parent knows that's important. You have to extend freedom and responsibility and opportunity and then to let them fail sometimes. Sometimes we have to force them to grow up, to care for themselves, start caring for others. And I think in some ways what the Bible teaches us is that developing workers in the church is kind of similar, that we have to kind of nudge people and encourage and challenge people. You know, Jesus did that with, with his disciples, I mean, he spent a lot of time with them, some say up to 18 months. He invested time in them. He equipped them. He shared the vision. He created an excitement for them. He gave them a small mission, and then they came back and expected accountability, and he complimented them on success. He corrected them when they failed. He encouraged them. He was developing workers in the harvest. That's what he was doing, because he knew that the mission could not be carried forward by spiritual children, that it needed to be a spiritual adults to do that. And I think it's kind of how we build harvest workers in the church today. It's how the church as a whole needs to help those who are willing to serve in growing roles. In Luke chapter 4, we again see an example of how Jesus developed his disciples, how he challenged them, equipped them, and then sent them out. I love this story. It says, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, this is Peter, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets." You will fish for people. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So I love this story that Jesus is teaching, and the people are kind of pushing him. He's filling the crowd, pushing him back almost into the water. And so he notices Simon Peter and recruits him and his boat as a preaching platform, pull out in the water, he preaches to the people, and then he decides to test him and just see how willing Simon is to go with him. You know, these guys were professional fishermen. They had fished all night long. They fished at night, uh, and then they got up and they slept the the day and then went back at it again, you know, day after day. But this night, they had gotten skunked. I mean, they had never caught a fish at all. I've I've been there before. They were tired. They were cleaning their nets. They had their nets probably all stacked up on their their boats. And they were just about to end for the day when Jesus recruits them. And then Jesus says, after the message, he said, let's go fishing. Let's go back out in the water. Now, they didn't fish in the middle of the day, and they didn't fish in deep water either. They waited until the fish came in at night in the shallow water. That's where they caught fish. They weren't really equipped to fish in the deep. And so the odds of catching any fish were probably almost nil. And these guys knew it. They were professionals. What did Jesus, he was a carpenter. What did he know about fishing? But you know what? They had been with Jesus long enough. They had come and seen. They had followed him. They had been obedient. And so they decided, you know what? It's worth a shot. They trusted him, and so they obeyed. And then you you heard the account, they were overwhelmed with fish. Not only they, but also every boat they could find seemingly rushed in to save, uh, to catch these fish. But their willingness to obey shows us some things that are characteristic of a harvest worker. First of all, they were available. They were available. They were tired, but they were willing. When you know that there's a mission that God has for you, you need to be available regardless of what's going on in the rest of your world. Secondly, they were faithful. They were faithful. They did what Jesus asked, even though it wasn't practical, it wasn't logical, it wasn't likely to happen. They trusted him and they were faithful. And then thirdly, they were teachable. They were teachable. They'd been fishing all their lives, literally. It it was a generational thing for them. But and they knew it wouldn't work, but they were open and willing to learn some new things, teachable. Fourthly, they were enthusiastic. They were enthusiastic about it. They were excited, and they began to call other people to help them, and the excitement began to spread. But most of all, they were responsive. They were responsive to Jesus' leadership. They were willing, whenever Jesus went, they were willing to go. Now, those four things, or five things, are pretty significant when it comes to being a worker in the harvest. Their willingness showed that they were ready to fully trust Jesus, and that they were willing to do whatever he asked to make the mission happy. Happen. You know what? Jesus is looking for people like that today. People who are available, who are faithful, who are teachable, enthusiastic, and responsive. People who are willing to be more concerned about Jesus and other people than they are about themselves. And they're going to sacrifice some things in their life some time, they're going to sacrifice opportunity to go and share with someone, they're going to invest in people, they're going to share Jesus at the risk of being rejected. They're going to invest time in someone's life because they know it's worth it to make a disciple, willing to step into service, willing to step into leadership in the church. You know, we're at a point now in in our church's uh, calendar uh, that we look look for elders and deacons, those who will serve in those capacities. And, And we've been talking to some folks and encouraging them. Many of them have said, yeah, you know what? The time is right for me. Others have said, no, the time isn't right. Down the road, I will for sure seasons in life but you know being willing to serve at some point is important. If, If God calls you to service whatever it may be start thinking about how do I make that happen? How do I make my world work so that I can serve the Lord as I may be asked to do? People who are sold out themselves people who are convinced who Jesus is and the need that every person has for him. You know what, I've noticed today in, in the church or in life, basically, is that some people are just natural volunteers. I don't, I don't know what the percentage of people in the world is who have the gift of service. Even if they're not a Christian, they have a heart of service. But I've noticed that there are some people who just look for a cause to serve. I mean, it can be anything it can be the environment, it can be save the whales, save the animals, save the bluegrass, it can be any number of things. It doesn't matter. In fact, I'm often surprised about how committed people can be to things that, to me, are not that big a deal, all right? Not demeaning anything, but they're not, it's not a passion on my heart. People can get committed to causes at any reason. But you know what I've noticed is that people who are workers in the harvest of, for Jesus are different from people who just have a volunteer heart. Amen. We have to be, because Christianity is not just another cause, And it can't be viewed as just another good thing. It is a good thing, but it can't be viewed as just another good thing. What I've noticed is that people who work for a cause oftentimes get burned out. They get hurt easily. They get frustrated or distracted by some other more pressing cause. And there's a danger in that. If we look at just serving the Lord as a great cause, it is not just a good cause. cause, It is the greatest cause in the world. I think I've told the story before of a friend I had that broke my heart. He came to know Jesus, and he had a heart of service. He had a, was a great volunteer, and he jumped in on an a, a, you know, a, a, a area in the church that needed to be taken care of, and he was all about that, was concerned and hurt when other people didn't have that same passion for him. But the problem was he wasn't growing spiritually alongside. And so when he got disillusioned, in some way he began to back off, and then he fell morally. Because he wasn't growing spiritually, he didn't realize that this cause takes more than just a volunteer heart. It requires a depth of knowledge and relationship with Jesus. And because the mission that we're a part of is the most important mission on earth, we have to be empowered by more than just passion for a cause. This can't be just like, I want to see something good happen. We have to learn to live through the Spirit. And it's in this time of belonging, I think, as we move into believing and solidifying our faith, that we really begin to open up our lives to be led by the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, it says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And so in the mission and the ministry of Christ, we have to be led by the Spirit. And it's in this time of belonging that we totally surrender to the Holy Spirit's leading and we learn to live within his leading. We love in the Spirit. We serve in the Spirit. We basically just live and give and grow and minister in the Spirit of God. Because if we're not living and acting by the Spirit, then we're not going to develop the spiritual roots that we have to have that will weather the storms that are coming to our life. And we also can't reach the point of becoming what God wants us to be. We just can't continue on our journey until we're grounded in the Holy Spirit and we're led by the Spirit and we see the mission in that light. Because the Spirit is the one that helps us pace ourselves in our work. He he is the one who gives us the strength and the endurance and the depth and maturity to match the passion that we might have for the mission. He calls us to mature in knowledge. So we're always continuing to deepen our understanding of who Jesus is. We never stop reading his word. In wisdom, how do we use what we know about Jesus? In understanding and in patience as well as in passion for the work calls us to pursue holiness and Christian maturity and to find joy in the journey as we come more like Christ. Philippians chapter 3 says, you probably recognize this, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of Of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward and in Christ Jesus. So, workers in the harvest, they have forgotten their past, they have put their failures behind them. Not the lessons they learned, but just the guilt and shame from it. And now they're straining toward the goal to win the prize and take other people with them. And if you know that God wants that from your life, that straining and that that searching, then maybe God's calling you, hey, take your next step, whatever it may be. It'll be different for all of us. We're straining for the prize, and we want to minister to others in the process. You know, throughout this study, we've been kind of correlating our values. And we said our three values as a church are connecting, growing, and sharing. Connecting, growing, and sharing. Many things are important, but these are the three things we believe that as we connect to Christ and we connect with the church, we grow in our faith, we're in the Word, we're in prayer, we're in worship, we're in groups, and then we share with Jesus, share Jesus with others. As we live our values out, we're going to continue to grow spiritually on our journey. And so we've been correlating these values, each of them, with each stage of growth. And at the believing stage, we said last week, the value is connecting. But here in the belonging stage of our journey, the value is growing. It's growing. To transition from believing to belonging, we have to grow. We have to grow to where our focus is not just about ourselves, we have to develop a heart for other people. Our focus has to shift from I to we. We, what are we doing for the Lord as we're a part of that? Growing is measurable maturity in our faith, to be committed and consistent in attending a worship and community in a group, small group, a journey group, to be serving in some way, to be giving, but also to be grounding ourselves in daily Bible reading and prayer and also to be experiencing some tangible spiritual growth that we know that we're growing. We're not indifferent. We're not staying where we are. We're not sitting on a bench. We're moving forward. In the past, we've expected other people to feed us, but now we're feeding ourselves. We're not saying or thinking things like, hey, I'm not being fed. That's childhood. Maturing says, I'm feeding myself and I'm feeding other people as well. And this is moving us, I believe, toward the next step in our journey, which is becoming, and we're going to talk about that next week. Now, I hope this has been challenging to you. There there are some series that we just talk, I think, that make us feel warm and fuzzy. Others of them kind of get in our face. And and I'm not trying to do that. My heart is that we want to make disciples who make disciples. This is where this journey will lead us. I want to be challenging, but I also want to be careful not to be judgmental of anyone. I will tell you our number one goal is to move people from begin, which is outside of Christ, to believe where they cross the line of salvation. That's the number one thing. We want to get people across the line where they're in Christ. But if we truly love Jesus as we should, We're all going to want to be increasingly obedient and growing in our walk. And I believe in this stage of belonging. I think this is the process of moving beyond just being a believer and a follower and becoming a disciple. Jesus had a lot of followers, a lot of people who believed in him, but he had far fewer disciples. The disciples were the one to which Jesus handed over the mission and who went on to turn the world upside down. They could not do that with just a little bit of belief. It took a lot of commitment and a lot of faith and, and, uh, and really true belonging to Jesus to do that, to accomplish a mission. And I think our mission today, to be a worker in the harvest. So I want to challenge you to take the next step. Take the next step. Belonging is a big step for most of us. In fact, I think that most Christians get stuck in believing. I think we really do. In the past, you know, we've used the four chairs as a different analogy. These these four uh, marker points they just parallel with them. But the chair one is the person who is seeking, who is still not in Christ. Chair two is a believer, and that's where most of us that's where most of us park ourselves. That's where we stay. Step three is the worker in the harvest, or chair three is a worker in the harvest, and chair four uh, is the disciple who's making disciples. I want to challenge you, wherever you may be, to take your next step. If you know that you're a believer in Christ and you're good, start asking yourself, what would it look like if I took my next step? If I really begin to own the mission of Jesus Christ, not just in the church here, but in the kingdom-wide. How do I start thinking about serving other people? A lot of us get stunted in our spiritual growth. We're always students, and we never think about being a teacher. We're always a child. We never think about being a spiritual parent. So that's my challenge for you today, to push yourself forward, not thinking about yourself, but thinking about others and the mission for Christ. And you know, we have the greatest example of all in everything, and that's Jesus. He never thought of himself. He denied himself. He took up his cross, and that's what he asked us to do as well. You know, we have such a great... Lord who loves us so much. He sets example for all these things that we're talking about. Not only did He do it, but more importantly, uh, for our study, He showed us how to do it, and to come after Him so that we can find our relationship with Him. And, and just now, we're going to take a little bit of time to celebrate that, to what Jesus did for us, that sacrificial spirit and heart that we've been talking about. We're going to move into a time of communion where we actually get a chance to physically participate in Christ and with his sufferings. The Bible says that whenever we do this, we remember the broken body of Jesus as we take the piece of bread. We remember the shed blood of Christ as we take the cup of of juice. And in so doing, we actually take into ourselves the symbols of Jesus' sacrifice to us. And it should be designed to draw us closer to him. And we ask you to come forward to do that, not just sit in your seats. I like it better because it's an actual response where we physically come and respond to what the call that christ has for our life and so if you're here and you're a believer we invite you to participate Uh, if you're not able or not willing to step forward just raise your hand and one of our deacons will serve you right where you are that will be just fine but for all the rest of us as we respond to christ um, may it be not only a movement of our bodies but a movement of our heart to take our next step with him and i'm going to be down front tony will be over here as well We would love to talk with you or pray with you. Maybe it's been a really rough week and you just need someone to put their arms around you and pray with you. We'd love to do that. Uh, Or maybe it's to help you take your next step on your journey. We'd love to do either of those. Let's pray together. Father, we we just come now to this time of communion. And Lord, uh, it is a reminder to us, a weekly reminder of your incredible love and sacrifice that Father, you sent your son Jesus to come here to die for us. And because Christ is a part of you, you are one, Lord. It was a mutual sacrifice. And Lord, as Christ has given his life for us, we now remember that through the bread and the cup. And Lord, we also are reminded of this because this should not be a time that we decide to be uh, just mediocre and and, uh, maintain the status quo. God, may it be a time that we step up in our walk with you and step forward to take our next step on our journey. God, may it be a challenge to us of your supreme love that we sacrifice ourselves, our comfort, whatever it may be for the cause and the mission, Lord, so that others might come to know Christ and that Christ might be glorified. Lord, I ask all these things in his holy name. Amen.